It's great to be in the house of the Lord to worship, to praise Him in song and fellowship with and love to one another. So let's turn our attention once again to Him the remainder of our time this morning and turn to the book of Jonah in the Old Testament, the book of Jonah. It's one of the minor prophets, not because it's less significant in any way than the major prophets, but uh, been categorized that way because of the length of the books and the, uh, the amount that was written in each of them. And so Jonah uh, is one of the minor prophets here. We're going to be in Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3 to start off. And that's where uh, the, uh, the majority of our message will be. But we're going to look at several verses in this book this morning as we uh, see a little bit of the background here and understand fully a little bit more about our God and our response to Him. Now Jonah is a story or a narrative that is very common, right? Very well known. Uh, even unbelievers know the story of Jonah and the big fish, right? I remember uh, it being one of the first Bible stories that I ever learned. In fact, I grew up singing the Patch the Pirate song, Jonah, Jonah did not obey God immediately, Jonah, Jonah, down in the depths of the deep blue sea. But as unbelievable as this story is and may seem, it actually happened. It is true. It is inspired by God, right? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So as we look at the book of Jonah here, we, ask, we have to ask ourselves this question, what is the book of Jonah all about? Maybe you have some things in your mind that you think it might be all about. And maybe you would say this morning, well, when I think of the book of Jonah, when I think of the narrative of Jonah, it's about the big fish, right? And uh, truly, it's an amazing thing. It's, it's uh, something that's unbelievable. Uh, we can't make logic out of it. Uh, and the big fish in this short uh, book of the Bible, I don't know in your Bible, it just takes up two pages in my Bible. And in this short book of the Bible, the big fish is mentioned uh, several different times. So maybe uh, the, the book of Jonah, this narrative, is about the big fish. Maybe uh, you're not satisfied with that answer this morning, that the story the narrative of Jonah is all about the big fish. So maybe as we look through the book of Jonah, this narrative is all about the great city of Nineveh. After all, every, almost every time we see the city of Nineveh mentioned here, it is added with that great city, or the great city of Nineveh. And God's command to Jonah here is centered on this city, right? God is um, wanting for this city to turn back to him, to turn to the one true God. And we see several times, I believe nine times, the city of Nineveh mentioned in this book. So maybe the narrative of Jonah is about the great city of Nineveh. Well, obviously... It's not about either of those two things, right? There's a man here uh, named Jonah. And Jonah is a prophet of the living God. He was uh, tasked something here in chapter 1, which we're going to look at. And God was giving him a task, giving him a task to go to this city of Nineveh and to preach uh, God's truth to them, to give them God's truth. And now this man was a prophet of God. And literally, he, his name is the name of the book, right? Jonah. So obviously, the book is about this man named Jonah. Well, no. Even though Jonah's mentioned uh, something like 18 times in this book, the book of Jonah, the narrative of Jonah, is all about someone much bigger. All about someone much greater. Because the book of Jonah mentions 34 times the one true God. The book of Jonah is about God. And as we study Jonah, we can see so much about our God and see a correct response that we need to have to him. Yes, and all of those things, but the big fish, the city of Nineveh, and Jonah are merely characters in this narrative about our amazing God. And he truly is amazing. And as we look through this this morning, can I direct your attention this morning to this God, our God. And as we learn a little of his character and our response to Him. Let's pray before we look at this passage. Dear Heavenly Father, thank You so much for Your Word. We pray that as we look into this passage this morning, that You would give me wisdom, the words to say, fill me with Your Spirit, and that our hearts would be humble before You as we look at Your truth today and see things in our life 
that we can change to better serve you and glorify you. We thank you so much for the opportunity we have to learn today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning I'm reminded of a time a couple years ago where I had the opportunity to coach a high school girls basketball team in Indiana. Now it was a, it was a great time. My wife was able to be the assistant coach uh, and so that's a special time and we had a great group of girls. But when you're coaching a sports team, uh, as you could imagine, and you're looking, you know, you're starting off practices early in the season, but eventually you have to look at the first game on the schedule, right? And who you're going to play. And so as a coach, you're sitting there thinking, all right, I'm, I'm putting these players through drills and through plays in practice, but in my mind, I'm thinking, who am I going to put on the floor come Friday night? What five girls am I going to start? They, I mean, they have to be someone that is reliable, that's not going to make many mistakes and can give us a great start to the game uh, and, and do the different things. And so you're thinking through that, and especially when you're in the heat of a close game, you want to be able to rely on those players, right? Uh, and when you're not able to get out and do the play for them as the coach, you're relying on now, in my case, the high school girls to complete these plays to win the game. And so I remember on multiple occasions calling a timeout in, a, in the middle of a close game towards the end of the game and uh, getting my girls in a huddle and we would sit there and talk and one reoccurring thing that I would tell them, Miss Emily can vouch for this, is you need to box out. If we're going to win this game, somebody needs to box out and get the rebound, please. I'm just asking for one person to box out. And then you start talking maybe one-on-one with some of the girls that specifically were not doing it. You say, all right, this is a close game. We need to have you box out your girl and get the rebound so that we can secure the ball. The game starts again, and do they box out? Not a lot of times. And so then as a coach, you're sitting there, and you're looking at the players that are not doing what you told them to do, And if you are fortunate enough to have a bench, you look down at the bench and say, all right, which girl is going to go box out for me? You get that girl, you put her in the game and take out the girl that was not boxing out. Now I've been on the flip side of it as well and been the player making that mistake, right? And if the coach has the uh, opportunity to have a nice bench and, and players that he can put in, that mistake usually leads to a benching, especially in a close game. You need somebody that you can rely on, somebody that's going to do the task, somebody that will do what you tell them to do. That's half the battle half the time, just getting them to listen to what you are saying. And so I remember even as a player, being someone on a couple, multiple occasions to make that mistake and getting benched or someone came in to replace me to do that task that I had uh, instead of me. And uh, that's kind of the way that we operate, especially in the sports realm. Right, when someone makes a mistake, on to the next person. You're done, you're going to sit for a while, I'm going to try someone else out. Aren't you so glad our God is not that way? This morning, you may have several different verses in Jonah that you think are the theme of the book of Jonah. And there are several great truths in Jonah as we interpret the book and as we apply it to our own personal lives. There are several things that we can pull from this. But as we look here at Jonah chapter 3 and verse 1, as we read these words, we should just be jumping for joy. Jonah chapter 3 verse 1 says this, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. We serve a God that gives us second chances. Let's continue reading here. The word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. So let's first look, as we, as we just open our minds and hearts this morning to our God, who is an amazing God of second chances, Let's understand what's happened prior to what's taking place here in Jonah chapter 3. So let's go all the way back to the beginning of the book, Jonah chapter 1, and let's see where it all started. All right, Jonah chapter 1, and in the first three verses, I've just got four things we're going to look at in the book of Jonah. The first thing is this. We're going to see Jonah's dumb decision. And that's what he's known for, all right, when we think about the story of Jonah. And uh, we're going to start here, Jonah chapter 1. 
And the book of Jonah starts with a direct command from God to this man. So let's read it, the first three verses. Now the, wor- the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come before me. But Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So the book starts with a command from God to this man, the prophet named Jonah. Not everyone got to experience what Jonah uh, gets to experience here, to directly receive a command straight from God himself. Most people would get it from the prophets uh, during this time. And the command is this, go to Nineveh. That was Jonah's command. Now, a couple of things we have to understand about this command. The first thing is that it was a simple command and that it was simple to understand. All right, God did not come to Jonah in a vision and ask him to interpret it. God did not come to Jonah in a, uh, with a riddle and say, solve this out and you'll understand what I'm telling you to do. All right, this, is, this is not a hard to understand. There is no way that Jonah misunderstood this command. You didn't have to have a PhD to understand the command. The command was to go. Go to Nineveh. It was very simply put for him. There was not any way that Jonah would misunderstand this command. In fact, as the story unfolds, Jonah knew exactly what the command was and why he was disobeying. We see that in chapter 4 as it sheds some light. He knew exactly what the command was. He knew exactly what he was running from. He knew exactly what he was disobeying. The command was simple to understand. But not just simple to understand, the command, while simple, was actually a hard task for Jonah. I don't want to sugarcoat this command. While it was very simple to understand, this was actually a very hard task for Jonah. For several different reasons, as you read here, when, the, when this book talks about the city of Nineveh, it talks about the great city, um, so no doubt this is a, a very strong city, uh, a city that had um, many soldiers and ways to uh, persecute anybody that had anything against that city. But also the word wickedness is always almost in a line every time Nineveh is mentioned here as well. So it's a great city of wickedness before God. And that's where, Nin- uh, that's where Jonah is told to go. But then when we actually read in chapter 4 and look at history a little bit, we see something that's a little bit eye-opening as well, because this task was not just hard because it's a great city of wickedness, but Nineveh was actually a city that was an enemy to Jonah's people, the Jews, the Israelites. No doubt these people in Nineveh had troubled the Israelites for many years, and there may have been men and women that Jonah knew or knew their families or knew of, that were tortured or made fun of for their belief in the one true God at this city. I mean, this is something that Jonah is not interested in. He is not interested that this city, this enemy of his people, be forgiven and blessed. And he voices that in chapter 4. It would almost be like an American or a Jew in World War II being asked to go and aid a blessing to the city of Berlin and Germany. I mean, Jonah was not going to do it. He did not think they deserved God's blessing. Now, not only do we see God giving Jonah a second chance here, we see God giving Nineveh a second chance as well. Nonetheless, this command was indeed very hard, and God was very clear with what he wanted Jonah to do. It was a hard command. God's commands are um, very clear from Scripture. But I also believe that Christian, that we are in a daily war, and it is hard, and it does take work to obey God's commands, many if not all of the time. While they're simple to understand, they can be really hard to live out on a daily basis, because we're in a war on a daily basis. And that's what's going on in Jonah's life. He has a very simple command given to him. It's very hard for him to carry it out. And unfortunately, we see his choice to disobey. The command is disobeyed. So let me try to illustrate this without a picture here. Over here on my left, your right, you would have the city of Nineveh right about here. And that's where God is telling Jonah to go. 
And then just a little bit farther down, to my left, your right, you would have Joppa, the city of Joppa. Now, when the word of the Lord came to Jonah, he is thought to be in the middle here somewhere. So when Jonah disobeys, he goes to Joppa. And it's a port city, all right? Ships are leaving, boats are leaving from and going across the sea to different cities uh, and so forth. And so instead of going to Nineveh, Jonah goes to Joppa, but his final destination is all the way over here at Tarshish. I mean, just not just, all right, I'm going to stay where I'm going to go the complete opposite direction of where God told me to go. He's running. I mean, he's, he's foolishly thinking here that he can hide and run from God, and he goes all the way, he, he's, his purpose is to go all the way across the sea uh, to Tarshish. So we see Jonah makes this decision to disobey God's command. And he has the thought process here that he can hide from God as he takes a ship to Tarshish. Jonah, what are you doing, right? Let's get this straight, what is happening? God said, go this way. Jonah goes this way. That's simply what's happening. He is disobeying God's command. Jonah, how foolish to think you can get away with it and hide from God, right? We have the opportunity of knowing the story of Jonah here. Obviously, Jonah didn't have that opportunity, right? Um, But we have the opportunity. We obviously know what's going to happen to Jonah because he did not obey But it's at this part of the story we want to shout at Jonah. Jonah, don't do it. Don't get on the boat, Jonah. Jonah, the boat hasn't left yet. You still have time to get off. Jonah, you don't understand what what pain this is going to cause other people on the ship. Jonah, you don't understand what's about to happen because of this choice. Jonah, you have an opportunity here to be used of God in a great way. Don't do it, Jonah. And we have the opportunity to look at the story and say, Jonah, stop. Why are you doing this so foolish? We would never do something so foolish. This is the downfall in our narrative this morning. And we're oh so fast to jump on Jonah for being so dumb in this decision. But we're a lot easier on ourselves. There may be some of us in here today, and you know better. You've heard sermons. You've read it in your devotion. You were taught by your parents. And you know better. You know God's commands. You know God's principles. There might be some of us in here today. God's commands and principles are clear in areas that you know and you have decided not to follow. Listen to this this morning. I'm not necessarily talking to those who do not know better. There are always Christians who are new believers that need to search out God's principles and commands and learn them for the first time. And it is your responsibility to do that to search the scriptures, to learn, to see what God has to say about things. But there are Christians today in this auditorium that have been saved for a long time, that have heard God's commands over and over and know God's commands about sexual immorality, that know God's commands about worldliness, that know God's commands about anger, about the use of our tongue, and all of these things. And we know better, but yet we decide to live a different way. We're doing the same thing Jonah was doing here. If you're not sure of God's commands, then you're responsible to search and find those commands out. But there are Christians today who know better. We know God's commands, and and maybe you're deliberately not following them. God says to do this, and you don't. Or God says not to do this, and you do. So I want us to take a second this morning and humbly search ourselves. Can we be humble enough this morning to let God work? Hey, the first step to victory is to actually admit where and what we're doing wrong. God gives us command after command to stiff-arm evil, and yet sometimes, instead of stiff-arming evil, we're embracing it into our lives and in our homes. God gives us, tells us to guard our tongues, but sometimes we let whatever comes to mind come out of our mouth. God commands us to pray, but many times we forget. God commands us to live holy apart from sin, but sometimes we embrace it. God commands us to stay pure, yet our thoughts are wicked, and what we look at could be filthy. God tells us to dress modestly. God commands us to love each other. God commands us to witness to those around us, and the list could go on and on. And for many of us here this morning, we've heard it over and over and over again. We know better. Jonah knew better. This was a simple command. It's a hard task for Jonah to complete, 
but it's simple to understand. God's command was simple to him. And I'm not saying all of these commands from God and principles are really easy. It's a war. It's a battle on a daily basis. But they're simple to understand. And we know better. Maybe there's some of us here this morning and we're living our lives, we're leading our families, we're doing things in our life that we know God is not pleased. This morning we must ask ourselves, there might be some of us and you know God is not pleased with something. And I don't know your heart and I don't know your lives, all right? I'm not trying to guess. But I do realize that what Jonah is doing here is far more common. We just blind ourselves of it when it's in our own lives. So what is it in your life, teenager, that you know is wrong before God and God is not okay with? What are you allowing in your family, parent, that you know deep down this is against God's commands and principles? This is not holy before God. What is in your life, believer, that God talks about living this way, but you're living this way? And we don't have time to go through all of them. God is a God of second chances. But we must be humble this morning and admit where we need change. How long are we going to live in complete opposite direction from what God has planned and willed and commanded? If not a sermon, if not 5, 10, 15 plus years of hearing these commands, what's it going to take to get us to change? What's it going to take to get us to make some change in our life? Now is the time for change. Today, make some decisions, Christian, to take things out of your life, to change standards in your home, to confess hidden sins. Get it right and change your direction. If it's not the Word of God that we allow to dictate our decisions and dictate our choices during temptations and our standards, then what are we using? What's it going to take? Well, for Jonah, it took one of the most gross, horrifying instances known to have ever happened. And that's what we see next. So we see that Jonah's dumb decision here in chapter 1, but then we see Jonah's destructive consequences. And the rest of chapter 1, we read about them, uh, verses 4 through 17. Let me tell you something this morning, Christian, living in sin, living in direct disobedience to God's commands and principles does not go without its consequences and long-lasting effects on others as well. So here in Jonah chapter 1, for sake of time, we're not going to read through this, but I'm just going to explain what happens. First, we see that God sends a storm. All right, Jonah is on a ship to Tarshish, running from God. Jonah gets on this ship. They're about to set sea, and Jonah has his little stuff, and he gets his little spot ready at the bottom of the boat, and he sits down, and he is going to sleep through this trip, because on a long trip like that, uh, sleeping is what passes the time, and we all try to get that extra sleep in when we can. So Jonah gets himself situated, and on the course to Tarshish, a storm comes. And this is not a joke. Many times I think when we read about stories like this in the Bible, we don't really comprehend how dangerous this type of storm is. You have men who have lived their life at sea on this ship who are convinced they're going to die who are convinced this ship is going to be destroyed. They have lived their life at sea and seen storm after storm, have withered the storms at sea, and these men on the ship say, there's no use. This ship is going to be broken. We are going to die. It's one of those instances where the men on this ship are thinking, we're not going to see our families again. This is it. This is the end. This is the type of storm that is hitting this ship, this boat that Jonah is on. And as we see Jonah here, we see God sends this storm in the direction of his life. Uh, we have to say that Jonah should have never been on this boat. He should have never been placed in this danger. Right? He's not where he's supposed to be. And it would seem to this point, maybe in his life, until this storm happens, that he's made the right decision for his direction in life. I mean, he probably has convinced himself going the opposite way is the right decision for me. And it's starting to work out at first. I mean, he's on the boat, things are going well, and at first he's like, yeah, there isn't a consequence for this choice. I must have made the right choice. And that's the way of thinking that we all get into trouble with. 
because we're not seeing immediate consequences, right? Oh, well, it must not have been wrong. But the fact of the matter is there are always consequences when it comes to sinning and living direct disobedience before God. Jonah was not going to get away with disobeying God's commands for long. And at first, it may have seemed that way. So God sends a storm. But then as you read through this in chapter 1, you see that Jonah's sin affected other people. Wait a minute. Jonah was the one who sinned, but here we see that these other people, their lives are in danger. And they, didn't, they did not have anything to do with Jonah's decision here. Jonah finds himself in a situation that simply obeying God's word would have kept him from, and now more people are in danger because of it as well. These men try to no avail to steer the ship back to shore. They begin to throw objects overboard in hopes of not sinking. And finally, they decide to cast lots to send someone overboard or to see, see whose fault this is. And they were going to leave it up to chance, and the lot falls on Jonah. And the men ask Jonah, who are you? What have you done to cause this? And Jonah tells them who he is, that uh, he's, he's an Israelite, he serves the one true God. And uh, it doesn't give into detail what, he, what exact the words were that he did, but it does say that Jonah told them why this was happening. And the men uh, are actually very good men here, right? Even after they hear this, they try again. Well, maybe this isn't the answer to just throw this man overboard. Maybe we can try again to get to shore. And again, it's to no avail. And finally, realizing that they would lose their lives if something did not happen, they pray to God and say, let this man's blood not be on our hands. They take Jonah and they throw him overboard. And then we see that God sent a big fish. Uh, You see that in verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Kind of the climax uh, of our narrative, if you will. And in many ways, uh, I would have loved to be uh, in wavelength with that conversation between God and the big fish, all right? Your dinner will be served at this time, at this location, whatever it might be. But whatever it is, God caused this fish not to kill Jonah, to swallow him whole, and Jonah is kept alive in the gut, in the belly of this fish. Now, I already don't like the smell of fish, but then when you get into the guts and things, I mean, it's just, it's horrible. Jonah is now spending three days and three nights with everything that would go in with being in the belly of an animal. I mean, the waste, things that were eaten before Jonah, after Jonah, all of these smells, and Jonah is in a horrible, horrible situation. This isn't a a cool joy ride for Jonah, all right? This is This is awful. He is at the lowest point in his life. No pun intended. All right. And he's humiliated. He's here in the belly of this fish that God specifically here says prepared for what Jonah had done. These men in their fear ask Jonah what they need to do to appease God. They throw him overboard. This is not coincidence that this storm came And it's not a coincidence that the big fish was there either. And it's not karma for Jonah's decisions. It's a consequence for a follower of God who chose to do something directly against their God and knowing better. Jonah is suffering the consequences of his sin. And this morning we serve a God, yes, of second chances, but that same God does not let sin go unchecked and unpunished. Just because your family seems well off for now, you have a good job, and God has seemed to meet your need to this point, does not mean you are getting away with sinning and living your life in disobedience to God's clear commands and principles. Parents, your decisions for yourself and your family that directly go against God affect more than yourself. They affect your children. Teenager, your sin that you have so craftily hidden from others is seen by God. And even if it has been years of getting away with it, sin has consequences. Because your God who loves you will not let you live in sin and ruin your life. Because he loves you. Just as God has something especially penned to get Jonah's attention and to give him a consequence for his sin, God can just as easily 
put something disastrous in our life because of our choices. So why do we spend time talking about this this morning? I thought this was going to be a joyful message about the God of second chances. But you cannot pick and choose the attributes you like about God. God is a God of second chances. God is a holy God and punishes sin. Sin has consequences. I'm not trying to scare anyone this morning, but I think it only needful and biblical for us to heed this warning. This morning. If we know something that is not pleasing to a holy God, get it right. But isn't God loving and merciful and gracious? Absolutely. But that has never been an excuse for someone to think they are getting away with living life in a complete opposite direction from this book. Again, I don't know the hidden sins. I don't know the things that you allow your family to do. I don't know all of these things, but I do know this. God has a command and or principle for all things. And if you're living in a contrary way to those, it is sin. And God does not allow sin to go unpunished. And choices like that always affect others. Let's not fool ourselves into thinking we're getting away, that God can't see it, Or that we have liberty to do something directly against God. What is it this morning as you and I wake up and hopefully our heart is to grow in Christ and to serve Him more and put His will and plans over my pleasures and over my sinfulness and worldliness. It would be foolish to think that maybe this morning in a group this size there's no decisions to be made about getting something right with God. To be made in my life to get right with God. I, I know during this study, God showed me thing after thing after thing. So what is it this morning? I mean, we can't just walk through the Christian life year after year after year and there not be changes made. When you walk with Christ and with the Holy Spirit in your life for that long, there needs to be change. It's just a result of it. What is there this morning that needs to be changed, a different direction, something done differently, something that needs to be completely blotted out. What is that? Can we just all commit ourselves this morning to getting anything right that is keeping us and hindering our relationship with God? I know these things may seem harsh this morning and maybe even old-fashioned, but don't look at me. These are, this is what's happening in Jonah's life, and we look at the Bible to compare our lives to God's commands and principles. We don't look at other people and how people have acted with those commands and principles. We look at God's Word. How does our life, how does the way that we're raising our family, how does the way that I'm walking in my life and what the direction I'm headed, teenager, how does it align with God's commands and wishes that He has revealed to me in this book? That's, how, that's what we have to ask ourselves. God makes principles and commands rather simple for us to understand as a, in Scripture. So don't fall into the category of rationalizing decisions that clearly go against the Bible. It's easy to do when it's in ourselves. It's easy to point out in others. We blind ourselves to it when it's our own life, though. If you're a Christian you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, there should be gradual steps of obedience to God and separation to Him from the world. And sins and disobedience to principles and commands will reverse that growth. You can see victory in your life today, but who will have the humbleness and the boldness to make changes and decisions? The fact is this, God had a fish for Jonah, but he may have something else for you. And when it happens, we whine and cry and ask why it happened, but the whole time, we know why. This is a result of my own decisions. Sins lead to all sorts of disaster. And we look back and say, how did this happen? But it's a result of our own decisions. That's where Jonah finds himself here. A destructive consequence. The story starts to take a turn here in Jonah chapter 2. And we see thirdly, Jonah's deliberate confession. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and saying, you know, I want that second chance. There are things in my life that I need to get right. I want to stop this habit of sin. I want to raise my family differently. I want a second chance of this to do it right. Maybe that's your heart this morning. Can I tell you, it starts with how Jonah responds here with repentance. That's where it starts. 
The path to that second chance is repentance. That's what Jonah does here in chapter 2. Jonah gets to a point in his life that finally shows repentance. And as a result, God shows himself in a supernatural and loving way. When you find yourself in unwise decisions that go directly against God, there's only one thing to do. And Jonah does that here in chapter 2. He confesses and repents of his sin. And we see in chapter 2, Jonah is not sorry because he's being punished, but because he chose to disobey God. First thing we see in in verse 1 in chapter 2 is that he prays. Jonah prays. While Jonah is in this disgusting belly of a fish, and with the stink of all the insides and waste, Jonah prays to his God in verse 1 in chapter 2. And in Jonah's prayer, he thanks God for hearing his prayer. Hey, aren't you glad that even though we hinder that relationship with our Lord and Savior, with our God, He still hears us, in this case, even in the depths of the sea and in the belly of a fish. And He hears Jonah's cry of repentance and confession here, and He is right there to hear Him and forgive Him. Jonah confesses his sin to God. Jonah talks about his choice that was clearly against God and that hindered his relationship with God and that was the reason for the predicament that he is in. And he recognizes his sin and confesses it to God. He repents of it and that means he had a change of attitude about it and he had now accepted it as sin before a holy God and he now made a decision to turn from that sin and walk differently. To confess his sin, Jonah had to make the change to see his sin as sin and make a decision to turn from it and confess it to God. 1 John 1, 3-9 gives us insight on what sin or unconfessed sin does to our relationship with God. The passage is all about fellowship or a relationship with God. Now, um, don't get me wrong this morning, this, is not, this is, has nothing to do with our standing before God and your salvation after you're saved. Nothing to do with that. You do not lose your salvation. But just like any relationship, when one sins against another, that relationship has been hindered. And something has to happen to get the relationship back where it needs to be. And that is why God has given us the tool of repentance. Because true repentance and confession re-strengthens a relationship that was hindered. That is what John is saying in 1 John chapter 1. Verses 3-9, through nine, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of Him and declare unto you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Brothers and sisters in Christ this morning, confession is a necessary step in our walk with Christ. A recognition of when we are wrong and a turn from that wrong back to God's way of life is needed in our lives. I look through this chapter in Jonah chapter 2, and I see the words, I, me, my, mine. Jonah didn't say, well, the pressure was too much. You shouldn't have given me such a large task to do. Something smaller to start out, build that up, you know. Uh, he didn't, he took the responsibility and said, God, I am in this position because of my choices. This morning, you're not sinning because you, are, you have too many temptations around you today, teenager. You don't sin because the phone that you have has so many temptations. You're not going against God, family, because it's impossible to hold high standards. You choose to make those choices, those standards, and you choose to sin. You don't find yourself in horrible situations Um, without making choices like that yourself. Repentance is change, and it starts with owning up to it. What confession needs to be done this morning? With as often as mankind seems to sin, it would be foolish to say that in a crowd this size there is not sin to be confessed that might be hindering our walk and relationship with God. So you take care of that this morning. 
and mend that relationship. Just because you have guilt doesn't mean you have repented. Just because you cry over it doesn't mean you've repented. Repentance means change. What change is going to be made this morning? Teenager, what change in your life is going to be made? What change in your family is going to be made to bring it back to an alignment with God's word? Christian, this morning, I'm inviting us to not just go through the motions, but to change. Let's head in a different direction. Let's get it right and change today. And then fourthly, we see this. We've seen that Jonah had a dumb decision that had destructive consequences, and he was deliberate about his confession here. It needed to happen. But fourthly, we see a lot about Jonah's divine God. And right back in our passage here in Jonah chapter 3, now that we've gotten all the background and understand what's happening, we read again these words. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. All of that being said, we come to our passage and hopefully get a glimpse of our God. What happens next in our narrative is so unbelievable, so against our tendencies, and yet so comforting that it should make us want to serve our God even more. Here we are with this Jonah, this useless man. I mean, he's known for the lowest of lows now. When he's walking, oh, there's the man that God said go this way. And did you hear about his sin going this way? Did you hear what happened? Did you hear that he was swallowed by a fish and then lived in those guts and then was vomited back out? Did you hear about this man? This Jonah that sinned against God. And everybody probably have, has heard about this uh, amazing uh, story about the big fish and all of these things. And as Jonah walks around, people are looking at the man that God can't use anymore. While God is looking there saying, I remember your sins no more. Let's try this again. Come on, Jonah. I'm not done with you. I can, can and still will use you in a mighty way. So let's try this again. Go. Come on, Jonah. I know this was humiliating. I know you will have regrets. I know others have written you out. But that is not how I operate, Jonah. I can still use you. Here's another opportunity. Make the right choice this time. Wow. Wow defies our logic. Not my choice anymore to go to Nineveh. I mean, God has used donkeys in the past to do what was needed. He didn't need Jonah. Surely there was a nice, talented person who seemed to have it all together who never had this type of a low in their past with a good reputation to do this instead. Listen to me this morning, Christian. We have talked about some hard things this morning. But praise God for this. He gives us second chances. And third, and fourth, and fifth. That is the only reason that we can have church. That is the only reason we can have servants in church. That we can have leaders in church. That is the only reason where when humans look at individuals and say, Wow! Did you, you know what sin they're known for, right? They got pregnant and they weren't married. They fell into this sin. They've, done, they've been divorced, whatever it might be. And God can take that and He can change it and give a second chance when confession and repentance and change is done. Only because of God. That God can take a Christian who has lived in filthy, hidden sin and change their life and use them. And God can take a teenager who has been humiliated to others and been marked by a sin, and he can use them. That God can stick with a believer who has lived for self consistently and still choose to give them another chance. That God can see a parent who maybe has allowed filth into the home under their leadership and say, when you get it right and turn, here's another chance to get it right. Take advantage of that chance. Well, Pastor Joe, you don't know the depth of my sin. You don't know the depth of that person's sin, or whatever it might be, and you're absolutely right. I don't. God does. I'm simply saying this this morning. I know this about our God. He's a God of second chances. And he's a God who is faithful, that means every time, to forgive when we repent and change. What a God. 
Jonah spit onto dry land with all the filth of his decisions. Um, Still, you could smell it on him. He needed to get clean. He had just repented and changed. And now what? He waits and he listens for the voice of God again. Let me tell you something this morning. When we are living for self and living in sin, we forget what it's like to have the Holy Spirit prompt us and convict us and speak to us. But when we get those things right with God, you'll start to hear his voice again. That still small voice of conviction and prompting. And it's a great place to be. And God begins to direct and lead again personally in your life because God is a personal God. I see a lot of individuals this morning, and my prayer would be that each one of you accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. But let me tell you this, God has a personal plan for you. And I don't know what you've done in the past. I don't know those things that you need to get right this morning, but I know this, God has a plan for you, and his will is that it changes. His will is that he uses you again and can use you again. He will direct you in that plan. Confession is necessary to stay sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading. God is specific. He will tell you what to do. I am so thankful this morning that God can take our past and go, let's start on a clean sheet. Let's try this again. I'm thankful this morning that God can take a woman who has slept with multiple men and had children out of wedlock and change them and give them another chance. I'm thankful that God can take a teenage boy who has listened to filth and allowed filth in what they've watched and forgive them and lead them into being a preacher. I'm thankful this morning that God can take a divorcee and forgive them and use them in mighty ways. I'm thankful this morning that God can take a teenager who is addicted to sexual things and forgive them and change them and make a difference for him. I'm grateful that God can take a family that has allowed the world to dictate standards and change them and give them a fresh slate to do things the right way and parent with conviction. Folks, I'm thankful God is a God of second chances. I'm convinced God wants to use your life. Whatever you're struggling with, whatever the family struggle is to stay holy, whatever you're choosing your own way over God's way, I'm convinced God wants those things to change. And he wants to use you. So as we conclude, let's think about a few things. We talk about revival in our churches. We have revival meetings and we come out of having services week after week and we make our we may ask ourselves this question, why is God not changing my family? Why is God not working in my life? Why is there no zeal for spiritual things in our church or our children or our life? And while we sit back and wonder while the whole time we've been letting these things take away from our zeal that God is not pleased with and have taken the place of God in our life or our family, it's time to change that sin. It's time to stop. It's time to turn. It's time to confess. So what can we apply? Well, probably a lot of things, especially from the book of Jonah here this morning. But let's be a little bit specific and brief this morning. Is God prompting you this morning to change? Is there something in your life that is directly against his work? And you know better. You do. You've heard of it. You've been preached to. Your parents have told you in the past, you've learned of it in the past, and you know that it's against God. Is there something that needs to get right? And that covers a variety of things. We're not necessarily being specific about that. So let's make this morning a time where Eagle Heights Baptist Church takes just some more steps in growing in God and serving Him. Take advantage of repentance and change. And when God gives you another chance, Take advantage to do it the right way, to do the right thing, to follow his word in that. And let me ask you this, are you grateful God is a God of second chances? I sure am. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in loved ones' lives. I've seen it in dear friends' lives and family members' lives as God has taken their repentance and used them once again. Maybe this morning you are a recipient of, of a second or third or fourth chance, and you just need to take a moment to praise your God and take another moment to rededicate yourself to taking advantage 
of that chance that he's given you. Maybe you're here this morning and are praying for a second chance for a loved one. Can I tell you this? The key is to pray for repentance because that's where it starts and change. Are you amazed at our God this morning? Only our God can take a drug addict or a woman or a teenager or adult addicted to something or a brother and sister who at one time had some lows and humiliating times and take those people and give them an opportunity to serve again. It's amazing. It's one of my favorite things about the local church because we can see this character of God all throughout the ministry and it should encourage us. Now, unfortunately, again, this is the nature of God and it's not usually our tendencies. So while we're here on this earth and making a fuss about someone's past that they have gotten right, saying, well, they can't be a blessing to me. They can't serve. They can't do this. Think of what they've done in the past. God is up there saying, here's another chance. Let's do this again. I can use you in this way. It should encourage us to change. It should encourage us to pray and not to give up on brothers or sisters who have been and seen sinful lows. It should encourage us to thank God for chances he has given us. Because some of us might be in here today and we might fall into the tendency of looking at other people who have had those spiritual lows. And it may be something where, well, I've never done that. That's, God can use me in more. Can I remind you that we were all dead in our trespasses and sins? It is only because of a second chance that we get to be here today. It is only because of a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, that we get to partake in God's tremendous blessing of salvation. I'm grateful for stories like Jonah, like David, like Rahab, like Paul, like Peter, and even modern day examples that show us God's heart to restore and use once again. Can I ask you this this morning and we're done? Will you change? Will the change that needs to happen take place, repentance this morning? And will you take advantage of the chances God gives you to do it right and rededicate yourself to continue to take this chance and serve him with it. Our God is a God of second chances. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for everything you do for us. We thank you for your forbearance with us, your patience with us, and we thank you that when we are confessing our sins and changing our lives to glorify you, that you are faithful every time and and just to forgive us of those sins and use us once again. We thank you so much for that. We thank you for salvation and that second chance that you've given us in so many areas that you've shown this characteristic. We praise you for that this morning. But God, if there's areas in our lives this morning that we need to change, that we need to get right, God, help us to have the boldness and humility to own up to that, to admit it, so that we can start and and start this process of another chance to do things right the next go around. We thank you for being that type of God. And I pray that we would get things right and changed today in our lives, in our personal lives, in our family's life, and even as a whole in our church as well. We thank you and praise you for all this. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Every head bowed and